0: One year ago, how long it seems now, on July the 31st 2018, I included this warning in Exchange Invest Daily. Don't forget to ask your doctor if Refinitiv is right for you. Clearly it's just the prescription for David Schwimmer in a story which dominated a big week in market structure news as the London Stock Exchange leapt towards the global Britain strategy as the UK sits on the cusp of Brexit. Welcome to the Exchange Invest Weekly. My name is Patrick L. Young. With rumours abounding over the weekend, London Stock Exchange Group itself stoked the speculation with a statement of confirmation that talks were ongoing about an acquisition of Refinitiv. Most media missed the big point. The key pivot away from EU-centric operations and a step towards global Britain. Hat tip to Reuters. Well, they did ring me up and ask me. None other than The Economist would have ended up quoting my words without attribution before the week was out and even the FT itself noted the global expansionary nature of the deal. But as befits the Brussels bugle, it couldn't bring itself to actually utter anything that might be seen as less than 1,000% favourable to the Brussels bureaucracy, who remain such a key component of the subscriber income to the pink paper. Thus, the FT said the deal marked a signpost. They just couldn't bring themselves to actually spell out the signpost, which clearly says, get the heck out of Dodge City, Wallonia. This is a major pivot away from the EU for LSEG, as indeed Europarliamentarian and Econ Committee member Jake Pugh had also noted at the very outset of rumours about this deal. Anyway, thus went my article for the Centre for Policy Studies via their CapEx website this week. The London Stock Exchange is turning away from Europe and endorsing global Britain, went the headline. It's worth a read. Drop by CapEx.co when you finish this podcast. Meanwhile, back in the parish, we soon had a clutch of analysts and journalists who appear to have missed the antitrust implications of NYSE, Uranex Deutsche Börse and indeed DB1 LSE, the infamous merger of equal desperation, which failed, of course comprehensively, a year after I'd said it was doomed from the get-go. At least it seems, from the Refinitiv case, that the LSE has now learnt some of the lessons from their past ill-conceived attempt at that merger of equal desperation as it didn't make it through antitrust under any circumstances whatsoever. On the grounds that all the bidders who couldn't buy because the antitrust landscape is clearly putting it mildly challenging after the clarity of the rejection of that merger of equal desperation, this sort of stuff where endlessly analysts and the media come out and suggest that more stock exchanges will merge with other stock exchanges to make bigger stock exchanges, which are completely and utterly going against what antitrust wants to see, actually makes me wonder if unbundling is really the crux of the paying for stock analysis crisis. Quite who can buy LSE was hopefully put to rest by the announcement Thursday morning that David Schwimmer and his management at LSE intend to spend the next few years with their antitrust lawyers and, it is to be hoped, a bevy, a platoon, a battalion, well, in fact, a division of integration managers. Albeit successful exponents of the integrationist art are currently as rare as hen's teeth at LSE. Or, perhaps one might put it in their own group perspective, they're as rare as a modern LCH computer system. That might be a more apposite description. After a year in the job, it is clear David Schwimmer sees himself as another dealmaker, not a manager, which is a concern, given that sooner or later a lot of things need to be integrated properly. And indeed that £500 gorilla of a data vendor, Refinitiv, defeated three owners in a decade when it came to trying to turn it into a modern lean-mean machine. Therein lies part of the worry about the LSEG deal, and I will revert to this for subscribers in the Daily Newsletter Exchange Invest with more information in due course. If you're not on the mailing list, send me an email, patrick at derivativesvision.com, or drop by the exchangeinvest.com website. We'll be happy to sign you up for a subscription, and then you'll be able to get all the pith, such as this, every day in your mailbox from the Exchange Invest Daily Newsletter. Back to the LSE. The Wall Street Journal, well, they stated the LSE needs to prove the logic of buying Refinitiv. I would nuance that observation. LSE still needs to prove the logic it can refinitively integrate. Lots of teamwork talk to sweep away notions that David Schwimmer is merely mini Zav in management style does not convince that LSE has the ability to tame this savagely bourgeois beast of unproductivity which remains in long-term decline better known as Raffini Reuters. QV, I read an article in Forbes this week, which coincidentally happened to catch my eye at the same time as LSGG, Refinitiv was making headlines. What CEOs must do to avoid the 83% of mergers and acquisitions that fail? Coincidence? Meanwhile, for those pondering the fine art of investment, during the week I reproduced a single stock guide to investing. As Exchange Invest explained, the rules for trading LSE stock are as follows. 1. There will be a deal. Buy. 2. The deal has fallen through, so that makes another deal more likely. Buy. 3. There hasn't been any talk of a deal for weeks, so one must be coming. Buy. 4. They're doing a deal. Buy. 5. In case of 0.5, none of the above, naturally investors are advised to buy the stock and wait for something to happen between 1 and 4. However, I'm going to leave the last word of this week, for this deal will surely run and run and run, on LSEG Refinitiv to David Mercer, the CEO of LMAX Exchange Group, who coincidentally produced a fantastic set of results this week, record-setting results for the foreign exchange trading platform. This is 100% a market data deal which assumes that distribution will stay the same over the next decade. There you have a $30 billion risk. That was the most used of the week amongst the many millions of talking heads. Bravo, David Mercer. I mentioned earlier the excellent results this week from the LMAX foreign exchange platform. It was a huge week of results, rather frantic every day. We saw a bevy results amongst them, SIBO, CME, Euronext, IEX, Fiserv and the Japan Exchange Group. They produced their consolidated results and made a couple of interesting announcements. They commenced the tender offer for the shares of TOCOM, the Tokyo Commodity Exchange, which we were awaiting. They said that the all-in-one bourse is set to open during the course of fiscal 2020, which should be a fascinating one-stop shop across the Japanese islands. Other people reporting their results included the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, who, of course, did anybody actually remember what the results were once they said they were buying Refinitiv, Bursa Malaysia, the crowdfunding platform Cedars, which continues to lose money. Thomson Reuters themselves, the old remaining rump of what used to be a much larger entity before they got refinitively separated, and also the Warsaw Stock Exchange. Of those that stood out, well of course there was LMAX, as I mentioned, twice so far, but there was also then the Intercontinental Exchange. Quite simply, never mind Christmas, I wish it could be the ICE quarterly call every day. Data rich, insight driven. And with undertones of brilliance and a cool cam masterclass, this is why the ICE team remain years ahead of the opposition in terms of understanding their market, and indeed communicating it. It was a classic Bravura performance. For all of those who were trying to ascertain why on earth Jeff hadn't managed to buy the wondrous, incredible Reuters business, he made it absolutely clear that he bought IDC in 2015. So, in other words, by the time the other guys get through antitrust, he's going to be, well, about eight to nine years down the road, effectively, once they've done any degree of integration whatsoever with his strategy. He also managed to buy a very different asset, which gave him a different degree of functionality. And moreover, he put to bed the absolutely silly assertions in Agate Prop that the London Stock Exchange Refinitiv deal wasn't being shopped and therefore somehow or other was an exclusive. The truth is, Everybody knows that multiple tiers of management over several generations and indeed several owners of Thomson Reuters, of Reuters and even of Refinitiv have all had conversations with the major exchanges. And clearly, for many reasons, as he put it himself, Jeff said he just couldn't make that deal work for the ICE shareholders and the Intercontinental Exchange business. Anyway, if you haven't, even better than this podcast by a country mile drop by the Investor Relations site of the Intercontinental Exchange and listen to the one-quarterly results review that is simply essential listening in the parish. Welcome, we have a new publicly listed parish piece of infrastructure. The Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, TASE, had a very successful IPO this week. Local investors seemed fairly apathetic, but overseas interest was remarkably brisk. This was a business where, of course, they have a central core shareholding of a group of people led by Manicay Partners, the Australian hedge fund whose leading partners used indeed to be directors of the Australian Stock Exchange until a few years ago. That syndicate must be looking very pretty now as ultimately the Stock Exchange itself, Taze, managed to reach a $200 million valuation before the first day's trading which saw a healthy 30% premium. Michael Spencer was in the headlines twice this week. He was praising the government of Boris Johnson, which has arrived in the UK. And indeed, we certainly have that outbreak of leadership carrying on. Who knows? With a Freeport strategy and much else besides, we may yet see an outbreak of government from the UK after, well, many, many years where it's been becalmed. At The same time, Spencer launched a very, very appropriate attack. He was attacking politically motivated regulators and was thinking clearly about the UK, where, of course, the Ibor crisis saw his company, ICAP, managing to win last week, even though Michael Spencer is no longer any involvement with it. But finally, logic and justice prevailed, where they managed to overthrow previous, rather dogmatic opinions where they'd sought to stitch up the brokerage company in the midst of the Ibor crisis, as you may have recalled. We were talking about how the banks variously folded almost instantly when they were accused of anything. And the gritty brokerage company that became TPI Cap fought on and cleared its name and avoided any possible fines. We really owe Michael Spencer some debt of gratitude from the parish for this. Hopefully his knighthood, if not a peerage, is on its way to him soon for his many services to the parish. So from the fearless guy we move to... Well, an interesting aside, the Fearless Girl. The Fearless Girl sculpture has been much discussed around the world. A replica has appeared even in Europe in recent months and visited various cities, including London and Warsaw. Well, a lone artist from Delaware who says she's the sole owner of the copyright to Fearless Girl, Kristen Visbal. She's facing off against State Street Global, who actually owned the statue outright, because State Street seemed to be blocking use of the figure and the image by Ms Visbal the artist. Hmm, fearless girl meets a large blundering stock exchange organisation in the back office, who also happened to be some form of bank. Has to be said. In terms of diversity arguments, whatever the precise facts are here, this presents an ugly optic for State Street where it had sought to be a champion of diversity. In people news, we began with the tragic Case of the CEO of First Derivatives, Brian Conlon, who several months ago had announced, actually in late May, that he was suffering from cancer, but he intended to stay in situ while he beat the disease off. Tragically, the disease beat him during the course of the last week. He had a massive send off in Newry, the city where the First Derivatives organization is based, with hundreds of mourners and a very, very substantial number of people already signing books of condolence. He was the CEO who as part of a key team built a unique financial data business from a remarkably off-the-beaten-track market town close to the border in Northern Ireland with the Irish Republic. Elsewhere, South African Bourse CEO Nikki Newton-King is going to retire after eight years running the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. I suppose it was always a challenge to be the anointed successor to the, well, fabulously Marmite, but in many ways highly effective, Russell Lubsher who came before her. Nikki Newton-King achieved various things, perhaps she achieved more as part of the Lubbshire team than in her own stead as CEO. Her successor is a very interesting figure, Leila Fury, will return from a spell in banking in Australia, having previously been the Executive Director of Post-Trade and Information at JSE between 2012 and 2016. All the very best to Nikki on her retirement and all the very best to Leila Fury when she assumes office in the autumn. <laughs> In product news, Curve Global have launched some finer price ticks for intercommodity spreads. There's an interesting video if you drop by the Curve Global site. They're reducing rate trading costs in every possible way they can manage, and they've managed to get, in this case, some of the ticks right down to one tenth of a tick where you're doing different kinds of spreads. Very, very interesting and innovative competitive activity. Long may it continue. Meanwhile, in Egypt, they've taken significant steps to deepen their money, derivatives and capital markets. The Central Bank of Egypt, helped along by the EBRD, have introduced the Cairo Overnight Interbank Average. I suppose they couldn't actually introduce the Egyptian Overnight Interbank Average, as somebody else already uses the name Eonia. On the other hand, of course, perhaps Cairo can manage to deploy the Eonia title, depending on how long the euro lasts. Of course, the one issue that we now have is this new C-O-N-I-A acronym I think presumably has to be, well, pronounced carefully. I would call that CONIA. On the grounds that if we don't call it CONIA and pronounce it absolutely brutally with shorter space, then it sounds like something much, much, much worse than anything IBOR ever brought upon us. Over at Intercontinental Exchange, they've launched nine further marine fuel contracts in advance of IMO 2020. Actually, there was a stunning diagram, very, very simple, about the nature of oil and gas trading in the Intercontinental Exchange results. I think it was slide number nine off the top of my head, worth looking at so that you can better understand how the world of oil and gas has changed over the course of the last 5, 10 or indeed 20 years. Meanwhile, over at Clearstream, DB1 have launched a buy-in agent service for their CSDR. Doesn't sound terribly exciting, but actually it's another element in what is a very, very intelligent strategy. Gradually finding the sorts of services around the outside of the CSD, which it actually makes more sense to offer from the CSD company, rather than relying upon a potentially more expensive intermediary bank. Long may it continue, long may Clearstream carry on with these sorts of interesting innovations. Oh, and incidentally, no, we didn't hear anything from Euroclear during the course of this week because, of course, as we know, Goldman Sachs and others are trying to shop the shares around at the moment to see whether there ought to be an IPO. Clearly, they may be having a rethink after the LSEG Refinitiv deal. Over at the Baltic Exchange, they've started tracking shipping emissions, an interesting new departure from their purely freight data, which they've been accumulating over the course of 265 years. The BRM, the Romanian Commodity Exchange, had their first contract concluded on their gas-forward CCP platform. Meanwhile, the first grid hemp exchange for institutions has been launched by Pan Exchange out of Colorado. And there was a story suggesting that Predictit is the prediction market indeed, which owns the market for 2020 presidential election betting. Let's see how that goes all the way through to November next year. In regulatory news, some interesting snippets. The China FX regulator is seeking to relax exchange rules for commodity futures markets. Hooray! Meanwhile, the European Union has been, well, playing the protectionist card again. Why do we talk about Trump? I mean, actually, when it comes to financial protectionism, when it comes to parish protectionism in the world of exchanges, nobody is currently more active, more assiduously active, than the European Union. Terrified as they are. Paranoic, indeed that the United Kingdom might be A, allowed to Brexit and B, actually might be successful in making Brexit. Therefore, the European Union is looking to strip some five countries of market access rights. Absolutely ludicrous. They're involving countries such as Canada, Brazil, Singapore, Argentina and Australia. Later, I believe that Singapore actually put out a statement saying that they thought that they were going to escape scot-free. But this is truly an utterly pathetic piece of protectionism. It denotes the Brexit derangement syndrome, which has come from London right across various UK cities and is at epidemic levels in Brussels. It is completely and utterly daft for the European Union to be cutting off its nose to spite its face by being so anti trade in every possible way. And ultimately, the Euro and the Eurozone and the EU27 will be the losers in this sort of strategy. And indeed, actually, As fast as the EUs were trying to signal tighter financial market access after Brexit to all of these countries, therefore presumably throwing them into the arms of the UK to manage to make wondrous large free trade deals at the first possible opportunity once Brexit has arisen, There was also this rather entertaining story about the Swiss Exchange. The Swiss Exchange has had one of the most marvellous months in its history. Why? Not because the Swiss Exchange did anything differently, you understand, but actually because, of course, as we know from the 1st of July, the European Union blocked Swiss stock trading from taking place anywhere across the European Union. Net result, fabulous victory to the Swiss Exchange. And indeed, a huge undermining of, actually, the European Union's best initiative in financial markets, the original Mifid. The International Swaps and Derivatives Association, ISDA, have selected Bloomberg as the fallback adjustment vendor. That was the biggest story in technology this week. Congratulations. Well, it was an excellent move by ISDA. And indeed, great for Jonathan Seymour and his colleagues at Bloomberg to secure the deal. In terms of securing deals, there was an interesting story about deals that haven't been happening eye on the rather private, some might say somewhat secretive, Dublin headquartered vendor which has various different vendor assets across the parish on its books. They've been having difficulty managing to go to the public market to fund their purchase of curus this year, twice in fact they were unable to secure leveraged loans in the broadly syndicated loan market and they're now looking around for private financing. Interesting to see if that story develops further. And just before I go, it's great when a micro-action works out. A while back, Josh King at ICE asked if I could think of anybody who might be a useful guest on the ICE podcast. I had no hesitation in endorsing Mrs Young's suggestion of the brilliant Cindy Gallup. That podcast isn't about the parish, but it's worth listening to some thoughts on a much bigger tableau than just bourses. Inside the ICE House featuring Cindy Gallup, is a terrific interview elegantly compared by the ICE's Teresa DeLuca. Thanks for listening to the Exchange Invest Weekly. I will be back next week. My name is Patrick L. Young. If you can't wait until the next weekend, don't forget, you could be reading Exchange Invest daily. Exchange Invest, $200 per user year. I would be happy to welcome you as a subscriber anywhere in the world. Email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com or indeed go to the website, exchangeinvest.com. Finally, if you have a chance do please feel free to drop by the various websites and leave some feedback about this podcast. I'll be delighted to hear from you directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com, or alternatively, feel free to say something on one of the appropriate sources where you might have been listening to this podcast. Next week, I'm sure there'll be more in LSCG and Refinitiv, but much, much else besides as well. Thanks and have a great week in markets.